Chapter Three, Part One of Damien by Herman Hesse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Three, The Thief on the Cross, Part One. I could describe scenes of my childhood spent in peaceful security at the side of father and mother relate how i passed this period of my life playing contentedly in the midst of surroundings brightened by love and tenderness but others have done that i am only interested in the steps i took in life in order to attain self-realization all the pretty resting-places happy isles and children's paradises whose charm is not unknown to me i leave lying behind me in the shimmer of a distant horizon and i have no desire to set foot there again for that reason i will speak so far as i intend to dwell on the period of my childhood only of new events which overtook me and of what impelled me forward enabling me to throw off my shackles these impulses always came from the other world they always brought fear coercion and a bad conscience in their train they were always of a revolutionary tendency and a danger to the peace in which i would willingly have been allowed to remain there came the years in which i had to discover anew that there was within me an instinct which had to lie close and concealed in the bright world of moral sanction as to every man the slowly awakening sense of sex came to me as an enemy and a destroyer as something forbidden as seduction and sin what my curiosity sought to know what caused me dreams desire and fear the great secret of puberty that was not at all in keeping with the guarded happiness of my peaceful childhood i did as everyone else i led the double life of a child who was yet a child no longer my conscious self lived under the conditions sanctioned at home it denied the existence of the new world whose dawn glimmered before me but i lived as well in dreams impelled by desires of a secret nature upon which my conscious self anxiously attempted to build a new fabric as the world of my childhood fell into ruins about me like almost all parents my own did nothing to help the awakening life instincts about which not a syllable was uttered they only aided with untiring care my hopeless attempts to deny the reality and to continue my existence in a childlike world which was ever becoming more unreal and more mendacious i do not know whether parents can do much in such a case and i make mine no reproach it was my own affair to settle my difficulties and to find my way and i carried through the business badly like most of those who are well brought up every man passes through this difficulty for the average person this is the point in his life where the demands of his own life come most in conflict with his surroundings where the road forward has to be attained through the bitterest fighting for many people this is the only time in their lives that they experience the sequence of death and rebirth that is our fate when they become conscious of the slow process of the decay and breaking up of the world of their childhood when everything beloved of us leaves us and we suddenly feel the loneliness and deathly cold of the universe around us and for very many this pitfall is fatal 
they cling their whole life long painfully to the irrevocable past to the dream of a lost paradise the worst and most deadly of all dreams but to return to the story the sensation and dream pictures in which the close of childhood presented itself to me are not important enough to be described the important point was that i was once again conscious of the existence of the dark world the other world what frank cromer had once been to me was now present within myself and so from the outside as well the other world once more gained power over me several years had passed since my affair with cromer the dramatic and guilty time of my life lay far behind me at that time and seemed to have passed like a quick nightmare into nothingness frank cromer had long since disappeared from my life i scarcely gave it a moment's thought if i chanced to meet him but the other important figure in my tragedy max damien never entirely disappeared from my life however for a long time he stood on the far horizon visible but not affecting me only by degrees he approached me again and i came once more under the ray of his power and influence i will try to recollect what i know of damien in that period perhaps for a year or longer i did not have a single conversation with him i avoided him and he in no wise forced himself on me once or twice when we met he nodded to me in friendly greeting then it seemed to me at times that there was a note of scorn or ironical reproach in his friendliness but that might only have been imagination on my part my relation with him and the strange influence he had exercised over me were as if forgotten by him as well as by me i tried to recall his face as i recollect him i see that i was conscious of his existence after all and took notice of him i can see him going to school alone or with some of the other big boys i see him walking among them like a stranger lonely and still like a celestial body enveloped in a different atmosphere and subject to his own laws no one liked him he was intimate with no one except his mother and his relations with her did not seem like those of a child but those of a grown-up person the masters left him as much as possible in peace he was a good pupil but he did not go out of his way to please them from time to time we heard in gossip of a word a comment or a retort he had made to a master and which left nothing to be desired in the way of blunt challenge or irony i call him to mind as i close my eyes and i see his picture emerge where was it ah now i have it again it was in the street in front of our house there one day i saw him standing a notebook in his hand i saw that he was drawing he was drawing the old crest with the bird over the door of our house and i stood at a window concealed behind a curtain and gazed at him i saw with astonishment his attentive cool bright features turned to the crest the features of a man of a research worker or an artist superior and full of will-power oddly bright and cool with knowing eyes and again i can see him it was a little later in the street we had come out of school and were all standing round a horse that had fallen down it lay still harnessed to the shaft 
in front of a peasant's cart and sniffed the air pitifully with open nostrils while blood flowed from an invisible wound so that the white dust in the street darkened as it became slowly saturated as i with a feeling of nausea turned my gaze away i saw damien's face he had not pressed forward he stood furthest back of all rather elegant quite at his ease as was proper to him his gaze seemed to be directed at the horse's head and expressed again that deep quiet almost fanatical and yet calm attentiveness i could not resist watching him some considerable time and i remember feeling though quite unconsciously that there was something very peculiar about him i saw damien's face i saw not only that he had not the face of a boy but that of a man i saw still more i thought i saw or felt that it was not the face of a man either but something else besides there seemed to be almost something of the woman in his features and particularly it seemed to me for a moment not manly or boyish nor old or young but somehow or other a thousand years old not to be measured by time bearing the stamp of other epochs animals could look like that or trees or stones i did not realize that precisely i did not experience the exact sensation which i a grown-up person am now describing but what i felt then approximated in some way to what i have just related perhaps he was beautiful perhaps he pleased me perhaps even he was repugnant i could not then determine i saw only that he was different from us he was like an animal or a spirit or a picture i know not what he was like but he was different inconceivably different from us all my reminiscence tells me nothing more and perhaps even what has been described has arisen in part from later impressions until i was several years older i did not come into close contact with him again contrary to custom damien had not been confirmed with the boys of his year and in consequence fresh rumors concerning him were set afloat in school they were again saying that he was really a jew or no a heathen and others pretended to know that he and his mother professed no religion or that they belonged to a bad sect in mythology in connection with this i seem to remember that he was suspected of living with his mother as with a mistress presumably the facts were that he had been up to that time brought up without any denominational creed and that it was now thought that this might be disadvantageous for his future career in any case his mother now decided after all to allow him to be prepared for confirmation two years later than the boys of his own age hence it came about that for months he was my classmate in the confirmation class for a time i kept out of his way i did not want to have anything to do with him too many mysterious rumors had become attached to his name but above all things i was worried by a sense of obligation implanted in me since my affair with cromer and just at that time i had enough to do with my own secrets for the confirmation class coincided with the period when i was definitely enlightened on matters of sex and in spite of my good will my interest in the pious instruction was on that account greatly diminished the things of which the clergyman spoke lay far from me in a still sacred unreality they may have been quite beautiful and valuable but in no way real and stirring as were in the highest degree these other things 
the more indifferent i became under these conditions to our spiritual instruction the more was my interest drawn towards max damien again something or other seemed to unite us as nearly as i remember it began in class early one morning while the light was still burning in the schoolroom the clergyman taking the confirmation class happened to be talking about cain and abel i hardly paid any attention i was sleepy and scarcely listened then with raised voice the clergyman began to speak fervently of cain's sign at this moment i felt a sort of contact or exhortation and looking up i saw damien's face turned toward me from a row of desks in front with a bright speaking look which could have expressed scorn as much as seriousness he looked at me for a moment only and suddenly i was listening intently to the clergyman's words i heard him speak of cain and the mark on his forehead and suddenly i felt deep within me the knowledge that the story could have a different signification that it could be looked at from another view that it was possible to be critical from that instant the bond of communication between damien and myself was again established and oddly enough scarcely had this sense of a certain solidarity between us presented itself to my mind than i saw it transferred as if by magic from the ideal world to the world of space i did not know whether he had been able to arrange it himself or whether it was pure chance at that time i believed firmly in chance but a few days after i noticed damien had suddenly changed his place and was now sitting directly in front of me i recollect still how pleasant it was in the midst of the miserable workhouse atmosphere of the overcrowded schoolroom to sense the delicate fresh aroma of soap from his neck in the morning a few days later he had changed again and now he sat next to me and there he stayed occupying the same place through the whole of that winter and spring morning lessons had quite changed they were no longer sleepy and boring i looked forward to them sometimes we both listened to the clergyman with the greatest attention a glance from my neighbor would suffice calling my attention to a strange story or a peculiar text and another glance from him a very decided one acted on me as an admonition arousing criticism and doubt but very often we were bad pupils and heard nothing of the lesson damien was always courteous towards masters and schoolfellows i never saw him commit a schoolboy prank never heard him laugh out loud or talk in class he never drew on himself the master's blame but noiselessly rather by signs and glances than by whispered words he knew how to let me share in his own occupations these were in part of a peculiar nature for instance he told me which of the fellows interested him and in what manner he studied them he judged many of them with accuracy he used to say to me before the lesson when i signal to you with my thumb so and so will look round at us or will scratch his neck etc then during the lesson when i scarcely gave a thought to what he had told me max would attract my attention by suddenly bending his thumb i would look up quickly at the boy already designated and every time as if attached to a wire the fellow would make the gesture required of him i bothered max to try this on the master but he did not want to do it but once when i came into class and told him i had not done my preparation and that i hoped the clergyman would not question me that day he helped me 
the master looked around for a boy to recite a portion of the catechism and his roving eye rested on me he approached me slowly stretched out his finger in my direction and already had my name on his lips when suddenly he became absent-minded or uneasy put his hand to his collar stepped up to damien who looked fixedly into his face he seemed to want to ask him something but he turned away to our surprise coughed a little and put his question to another boy these jokes amused me very much but only gradually did i notice that my friend frequently played the same game with me it would happen that on my way home from school i had suddenly the feeling that damien was a little way behind me and when i turned around there he was sure enough can you really make another person think what you want him to i asked him he gave me information on the subject readily enough quietly and pertinently in his grown-up manner no he said that can't be done that is to say one hasn't a free will even if the parson acts that way neither can the other person think as he will nor can i make him think what i want him to but you can observe some one well and then you can say fairly exactly what he thinks or feels in this way you can generally predict what he will do the moment after it's quite simple but people merely do not know it naturally it requires practice to take an example from the butterfly world there is a certain species of moth of which the female is much rarer than the male the moths reproduce like other animals the male impregnates the female who then lays the egg suppose you have in your possession a female of this type of moth naturalists have often made the experiment then the male moths fly in the night to this female they even make a flight of several hours duration think of it from many miles around all the males are conscious of the whereabouts of the only female moth in the district people have tried to explain that but it is not easy moths must have a sense of smell or something like it which allows them to pick up and follow an almost imperceptible scent like a good hound you understand there are such things nature is full of them and no one can explain them now i draw the conclusion that if among this class of moths the females were as abundant as the males then these latter would not have such a refined sense of smell they have it simply because they have been trained like that if an animal or a man concentrates his whole attention and his whole will-power on a certain thing then he attains it that's all and it is just the same with what you have asked me observe a man sufficiently well and you will know more about him than he does himself it lay on the tip of my tongue to mention the word mind-reading and so to remind him of the scene with cromer now relegated to such a distant past but the odd thing between us both was that neither he nor i ever made the slightest reference to the fact that several years ago he had intervened so decisively in my life it was as if formerly there had been nothing between us or as if each of us reckoned that the other had forgotten the affair it even happened once or twice when we were together that we met frank cromer in the street but we exchanged no look neither did we speak of him but what has that got to do with will-power i asked you said there was no such thing as free will and then you said one only had to concentrate one's will on something to be able to attain one's ends that doesn't agree 
if i am not master of my will then i can't direct it here or there as i wish ha <laughs> ha good question he said laughing you should always ask questions you must always doubt but the explanation is very simple if a moth for instance wants to concentrate his will power on a star or something like that he can't do it only he doesn't try he seeks only what has sense and value for him satisfies his needs he gets what he absolutely must have and it is just there that the unbelievable succeeds he develops a marvelous sixth sense that no other animal besides him has people in our position have more elbow room certainly and more interests than an animal but even we are confined to a comparatively small space beyond which we cannot go to be sure i can imagine this or that or make myself believe that i absolutely want to get to the north pole or somewhere but i can only carry that out and wish it strongly enough when the desire lies right in myself when my whole being is really filled with it as soon as that is the case as soon as you try to carry out an inward command then you succeed then you can harness your will as you would a good nag if for instance i resolve that our good mr parson shall not wear his spectacles for the future then that wouldn't work that is merely play but when last autumn i had the fixed intention of getting myself moved to another desk i succeeded someone suddenly arrived who came before me in the alphabet and who up to then had been ill because someone had to make room for him it was naturally i who did it because my willing it had made me ready to seize the opportunity yes i said that seemed to me very strange at the time from the moment we began to get interested in one another you managed to get nearer and nearer to me but how was that you did not immediately take a place next to me for a few lessons at first you were sitting in the row of desks in front of me weren't you how did that come about it was like this i wasn't quite certain where i wanted to go when i wished to move from my first place i only knew that i wanted to sit further back it was my wish to move towards you but i was not conscious of this at the time simultaneously your own will was working with mine and helped me it was only when i sat in front of you that i realized my wish was only half fulfilled i noticed that really i had desired nothing else than to sit next to you but on that occasion no newcomer arrived no but then i simply did what i wished and sat next to you without hesitation the boy with whom i changed places was simply surprised and let me do it without further say and the parson indeed noticed once that a change had taken place in fact whenever he looks at me something worries him secretly that is to say he knows my name is damien and that something must be wrong that i whose initial is d am sitting back there among the s's but that does not penetrate his consciousness because my will is against it because i prevent him again and again from becoming conscious of it he notices now and then that something is wrong he looks at me and begins to study the question the good fellow but i have a simple means at my disposal i look at him very very fixedly in the eyes hardly anyone can bear that they always get restive if you want to get something out of a person 
and you fix him unexpectedly with your eyes and if he doesn't get restive then give it up you won't get anything out of him ever but that happens seldom i know only one single person with whom this trick won't help me who is that i asked quickly he looked at me with eyes somewhat closed as his fashion was when he meditated then he looked away and gave no answer and in spite of my lively curiosity i could not bring myself to repeat the question but i believe he was referring to his mother he seemed to live on very intimate terms with her but he never spoke about her never invited me to his house i scarcely knew what his mother looked like end of chapter three part one the thief on the cross